Hey, Planet Money listeners. If you're looking for another podcast to check out, we recommend Snap Judgment with Glenn Washington. It's got poignant, sound-rich stories with a style all their own. You can find it on iTunes. This week, Zoe and I went to the New York Auto Show. Would you like to ride in the Cherokee, the Wrangler, or the Grand Cherokee? We'll get into anything. Okay. We're getting a test drive. Since this is Manhattan, we can't really take it off-road, but Jeep has built a driving track. A bunch of fake hills and bumps all set up right in the middle of the city. Well, welcome to Camp Jeep, you guys. My name's Steve, and I'll be your operator. And we are going to slide around the track here in our 2014 Jeep Wrangler. This is the Unlimited, so it has the four-door. And all of a sudden, right, so the Jeep takes go. off, and we are going up this incline, and I swear, I swear, the car is about to tip over. Whoa! This is crazy! This thing's on the side! Okay, so... And then we so whip around the corner, and we start bouncing up and down over a bunch of stumps in the road. There's one, there's two, there's three, there's four. Hey, are you okay? Ah! Man, you're going to destroy this thing. All right. So, we made it. Could you drive this Jeep off-road? You can drive it on dirt roads? Yeah, absolutely. That's what this this particular Jeep, this is the iconic Jeep brand, the Wrangler. Could you drive it through a river? You can water ford with it. That's one of the things that makes Jeep a, a, a trail rated vehicle is water fording. So can you drive this thing anywhere? You can drive it a lot of places. You can't drive your Cadillac. But you cannot drive this car anywhere. Because Steve doesn't mention one very large place that will not allow this car on their roads. Europe. This particular Jeep would be illegal in Paris. It would be illegal in Milan. It would be breaking the law in Berlin because of a technicality. All of the safety features on this Jeep, the airbags, the bumper, they're built to U.S. safety standards. And there is an entirely different set of standards in Europe. And so in order to sell this particular Jeep in Europe, Jeep will have to replace a bunch of parts, redesign other parts. And the Europeans have the same issue. The new Volkswagen Golf R. You can see it driving the Autobahns in Berlin, but it is not yet arrived in the United States. The German company has to sort of remanufacture the car for a completely different set of safety regulations. Right now, it's uh, actually the case that you develop a vehicle twice. Once for North America and once for Europe. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Zoe Chase. And I'm Robert Smith. Today, why can't you build a car that can be driven anywhere in the world? We go to the car show and we talk to designers and car company executives about one of the biggest technical challenges that they face, making all these different governments happy. And these subtle differences in safety regulations, they end up making our cars cost more. You walk into a car show and it is like a brand explosion. Boom! Honda, Toyota, Acura, BMW. Maserati, Porsche, Dodge, Jaguar. I see Mercedes and Alfa Romeo and uh, I think VW is back there. I can barely see it. (laughs) It's like being inside a glossy magazine. All the cars are sparkly and new with these special lights on them. And it's exactly how you sort of picture a car show. They're actually big raised up stages like Lazy Susans rotating around. And yes, skimpily dressed women in high heels standing next to the cars. And the place is filled with these sort of madmen types, just guys in suits everywhere that look like Don Draper and Roger Sterling walking around, pointing at the cars, consulting with each other. And chatting up the women I talked about in the high heels and the short skirts. Don't be jealous. Here it is, 
MX-5 Miata, 25th Anniversary Edition. Gentlemen. This whole show is a lot of fuss for something that is it's just a car. But a car is a special kind of product. It is super complicated. It is a highly technical product. It's often the most expensive thing we own. And it is one of the most highly regulated products in the world. Each country develops their own regulations. They have their own laws, their own testing standards. And sometimes even the expert car guys, which admittedly is not us, uh, even they cannot figure out some rationale for the standards being different. That's why we met up with Dave Shepardson. He covers cars for the Detroit News. And we met him at the Fiat section of the auto show. And he points to this beautiful car, I think, anyway, the Fiat 500. So cute. And in order to bring this from Italy, where it's, you can drive it all over the place, to America, they had to change a bunch of things, including... The windshield wipers. American regulations require that the windshield wipers capture a larger part of the windshield versus European ones. But, but yeah, I mean, yeah. what, what is the even logic behind that? You know, I, I, I guess Americans might be taller on average, therefore they would be looking at a different part. I mean, I'm struggling here, I agree with you, to come up with a rationalization. Yeah, some of the regulations seem totally arbitrary. Like, the very fact that a rule exists at all for this thing seems kind of crazy, let alone that there are two different rules in different countries. Like, we found these two brand new Porsches on the show floor. One Porsche for the U.S. and one for Europe. And they had two different colored turn signals. This is a Porsche Panamera. Um, Looking at the U.S. version, we have the amber turn signal indicator, whereas here on the German version, we've got the clear. That is actually a law. That is a rule. We don't care if your car is worth a million dollars, and this car is worth a million dollars. You have to have an amber turn signal in America, and you have to swap out this little piece of plastic if you're in Europe. And this may sound kind of silly, but the rules go from the very small to the very big. Because a car can be a very big and very serious thing. Because cars can kill you which is why the government feels like they have a compelling interest to get all up in how you make your car and tell you what you can and cannot do. Cars are one of the leading causes of death in this country. Yeah, and different countries have different assumptions about exactly how these cars are going to kill you. Take crash tests. In Europe, you have to put crash test dummies into a car and you drive that car into a wall head on. But the U.S. also looks at what it'll be like if the crash happens at a slight angle. A small difference, but a big deal for designers, because this presents them with a problem. Now, a car company could design a car that will withstand both kinds of tests, a car that would be legal in both the United States and Europe. And a lot of, you know, super luxury cars do this, but it can be really expensive to make the frame that way. And so what a lot of other car companies do is they do the sort of second most expensive thing. They just redesign the car. They say, this one's for U.S., this one's for Europe, and then they recrash it and they retest it. And you might think I did, at first, I just assumed that Europe is just a safer place to drive. And in the U.S., they are more lax. I figured in Europe, they're more strict. So in Europe, they're probably safer. But this is not the case. No. Everyone tells us, and studies back this up, that in general, when you take all the regulations about Europe and the U.S., both places are pretty safe. They're just different. The U.S. may require a certain test like this at a certain higher speed, and Europe may require more kinds of tests, but it doesn't result in significant differences in the number of deaths. The difference is almost a philosophical one. What does it mean to make a car safe? Well, here's one big philosophical difference, which is who are the rules designed to protect? So 
In the U.S., cars are tested to make sure the people inside the car are protected, the driver and the passenger. In Europe, cars are also tested to see if they protect pedestrians, people walking in front of the car. Cities are denser, they drive less, so European regulators want the front of their cars to be basically softer. The guy over at Porsche explained this to us. The hoods in in Europe actually have to have a different standard than in the United States. They have to be able to, for lack of a better term, absorb somebody's head hitting the hood if the car were to hit a pedestrian. So if, 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 if I'm walking around the car show and I'm hit by a car, if I'm a pedestrian hit by a car... It's, it's probably better to be hit by a car on the European standards than it is one of these American cars over here. You'd be, according to the standards, you'd be safer. So if you're a U.S. car company and you want to sell your car in Europe, you've got to make sure the hood crumples and absorbs the impact of, say, an Italian bicyclist. Also, you have to smooth out the surfaces of the car because in Europe, apparently, they are concerned that someone is going to accidentally cut themselves or hurt themselves on the outside of a car. And there's this test that Europe requires. The baby head test. Okay, all the European cars have to meet this test. The baby head test. They don't use actual baby heads, but they they roll a ball about the size of a baby head all over the car to make sure there are no sharp edges. It's all done by computer, so the cars look smoother than they used to. Now, maybe the baby head test makes sense, and having smoother cars is a safer thing to do. But is an amber turn signal really better than a clear one or vice versa? The, the question is, why haven't, at this point, all the regulators just come into a room and sort of just voted, looked at all the data, decided what works best, what's the safest thing to do, and then just picked one and then enforced the same set of standards all over the world? Now, normally when we encounter something like this, a trade barrier, we look for the person who is pushing for it. There's usually some industry or some farmer wants to be protected, and they go to their government and they demand a rule, a set of regulations that keeps out foreign competition. But this difference in car regulations, it is hated by all of the car companies equally. We couldn't find anyone who wants these differences. It protects no one in particular. And the car companies say it actually hurts them all. But it's not up to them. If it were, we would have one simple list for everyone. That's what a global engineer at Cadillac told us. Do you think if all the companies in the auto show right now, though, sat together, you guys could just come up with what the list would be? We would love to. Really? Yeah. Everybody feels this way, huh? We could. No, absolutely. It It would make life so much simpler, and I could use the same part around the world without all the unique testing and certification requirement and design. And it it gets to exhaust systems, and it gets to seat belts, and it gets to glass, and it gets to mirrors and tires, and it's millions. It's not thousands, it's millions of dollars that we spend annually to make sure that our vehicles meet the requirements of the global market. We sell Cadillacs in over 40 countries around the world. Just imagine rolling a Cadillac off the production line in the U.S. and just sending it out anywhere in the world, just testing it once and then selling it to whoever wants to buy it. And that could save tens of millions of dollars. Cars might be cheaper for us because complying with these two sets of rules gets baked into the price and there'd be a bigger selection of cars to choose from. I was talking to the former CEO of Hyundai and he said there are a lot of great, cheap, fuel-efficient cars on the road in Europe that never make it here to America because it would be basically too expensive to re-engineer the cars for our safety standards. If you have a cheap car, you want it to be cheap all around the world. And if you have to do different safety standards and re-engineer it, it's not going to be cheap anymore and no one's going to want to buy it. 
So who's in favor of the system? Who likes the two separate sets of rules? The rulemakers like them, the people who made the rules. Each country's regulators have their reasons and data to back up the reasons. And that's why change is hard here. They've been trying for decades to come up with the same set of regulations. There are these working groups over in Switzerland that have been trying to do these things for decades. And the U.S. and the EU are right now working on this big free trade deal. And the same conversation is happening again. Can we get one list of standards that everyone can agree on? You know, it was hard at first for us to just puzzle out, like, why do these two different sets of rules persist? And we asked everyone at the car show. No one had a good answer. And when it came right down to it, it seemed ridiculous. We have the same human bodies. We have the same size baby heads on both sides of the Atlantic. And we couldn't quite figure it out until this one moment when we suddenly understood. Now, we may all be physiologically the same, but culturally, we're different. So in America and Europe, we actually drive differently. Take a very basic example, seat belts. In every car, you're required to wear them in Europe. You are required to wear them in the United States. But in the United States, let's be honest, people do not always wear their seatbelt. I do not always wear a seatbelt. You're pausing because you want me to admit it too. There are times when I'm going a very short distance and it's a bad thing and you should wear your seatbelt. But there are times for a very short distance I do not put on my seatbelt. I just don't feel like it sometimes. Now... Try and run this by a European. I found a German person. Do you wear your seatbelt? Yes, of course. Every time. It's more safety. You don't get that feeling like, eh, I just don't really want to bother. Oh, uh, no. No way. <laughs> Never. Can you understand how some of us might feel that way? We have a lot of roots in Germany, and it's kind of mentality, so everybody puts on the seatbelt. and The mentality is to follow the rules? Yes. Yes. Philip Clannett, who is one of the car cleaners here, he just looked at us like we were crazy. Now, look at this through the eyes of a regulator. They see that Americans, like Zoe, sometimes don't wear their seatbelts, that Germans, like Philip, always wear theirs. So when they get together, when the Germans get together to design their airbags, they assume everyone's wearing a seatbelt. Their airbags can be smaller, more targeted. They know where the head of a person is going to go in a crash because a German is wearing his seatbelt. In America, we assume that people will break the law and we want those people to live as well. So our airbags are bigger for some idiot who is not wearing a seatbelt who goes flying around the car. One of the guys from Volkswagen, Christian Bullman, he, he showed us this inside their new American model of the Golf R. The, the airbags are made in, in a different uh, way, so it protects uh, also the unbelted uh, person. Now, Volkswagen told us they want one set of regulations just as much as, say, Cadillac does. Because it will save them a lot of money. But it's clear just from talking to this German guy that Christian thinks it is more efficient to do airbags the German way and not do it the American way. The problem is with the unbelted person, you don't know at which point the head of the dummy hits uh, the airbag, whereas uh, with a belted person, that is always identified, and therefore it's in the ideal position. So you can see the problem here, right? In theory, all regulations should be the same, but if you have two different kinds of people, 
and you have two different kinds of airbags. That means that car manufacturers have to manufacture a different kind of dashboard for Europe and the U.S. And two different dashboards means essentially two different cars. So it's a trade barrier, but it's an emotional trade barrier, which is possibly why it is taking so long to straighten this out. Once there was this kid who got into an accident and caught and come to school. But As always, we love to hear what you think about the program, so email us, planetmoney at npr.org. Thanks for listening to Planet Money. But we just want to add, if you are looking for something new to listen to, we can suggest Snap Judgment with Glenn Washington. The show has these really great stories in it with an awesome soundtrack behind them. And you can find Snap on iTunes along with other NPR podcasts. I'm Zoe Chase. And I'm Robert Smith. Thanks for listening. <laughs> 